I'm going to be poor. Like, I'm going to be poor. And that really was the catalyst of like, did you need to do all of this? And I lost a lot of things. And losing those things made me realize that I hadn't maintained myself. Welcome to Everyday Leadership, podcast where I interview leaders not defined by position or title. Everyday people who lead their lives in extraordinary ways. And on this podcast, they share their stories, their life lessons and practical tools in the hope that it will inspire everyday people like you and me to realize we are everyday leaders. So today I have the pleasure of having a conversation with um, Mr. Nick Blake. Mr. Nick, how are you doing? Hey, I am so good today. It's just unbelievable. And the sun is shining for us. So I can't, wow. I, you know, I, I can't want for anything more. It's good. Well, it's cold out there though. I mean, I'm indoors, so I can't feel it. Uh, so yeah, I went out. I went out this morning for for a run. It was like minus two out there. Oh. It was blitz. Oh my gosh! But it's so good. It's good. I heard that's the best way to tone up. Apparently, I'm not trying it, but you know. <laughs> you know what? Me and me and I got to know Danique last last year, where we had a, a back and forth on an article I wrote. Yeah, and it's it's so interesting. Um, I was thinking about this morning. We're in that season of, of council culture where people don't seem to be able to disagree with each other. Mm. And yet that disagreement that we had and then I led to the conversation, which was an hour, supposed to be an hour conversation, I think it ended up to be about two and a two and a half hours. It was, like, just going it was like the entire afternoon. It's like, I love this. <laughs> and it's got me thinking like that's, that's such a good place to, to start because I know that you've also had, especially last year, a lot of difficult conversations with people and learning how to to handle that from a personal perspective as well as even in a work setting because we're going to land on what you're doing in, um, in a bit. How have you actually found navigating having disagreements with people? Well, I, I, I found it challenging at first because, you know, I come from this walk of life where I'm like, listen, if you don't listen to me, you're not allowed in my circle. And that's the, that's the place I started. I was like, no, you don't agree? Okay, you're out of here. But knowing with the work I do, I have to be in a place where I completely understand that everybody, I have to meet people where they are. I have to meet you on your journey. So I had to learn to do that for myself and accept that I'm not always right. I have a perspective and I think our conversation was around Stormzy. I think it was around, it was around Stormzy. And I was like, how dare you call him (laughs) unsung hero? Stormzy is a hero. How dare you? But, you know, I, under- I understand and I look at things and with the help of some of, some of my great friends and some, some of my friends are brand new. I met them in the last year. But some of them are so introspective and have helped me to understand that you need to walk through life with good intentions. Just only seeing good intentions, just seeing the good intentions and everything. And so that's what has really helped me to be the person that can have these conversations and say, you know what, that person is coming from this experience and I'm walking in with this experience. So do I want them to think I'm terrible because of my experiences or do I want to help them understand and us come and meet in the middle? So it was a challenge, but it was a welcome challenge because I get to speak to so many different types of people. Like I had some guy in my inbox 
the other day saying, thank you so much for making conservatives feel welcome. I mean, if anybody actually knew my stance on... <laughs> I, I don't know if that would be a comment, but I think it's just the fact that I'm happy, I'm okay to have those conversations. And if we agree, it's okay, it's fine. I don't believe in duality. There's not everybody is completely good and not everybody is completely evil. I just think we're human and that's it. We just have room to talk and share our experiences. Yeah, that is that is so true. Um, there's no good. There's a good and bad for certain things, but we're all human, and we all have our own different ways of looking at life. However, one thing that comes up a lot when it comes to disagreement and what I've seen with council culture is ego. Yeah, like parking that ego to the side is not easy. Like when someone says something to you, and that internal like frustration walls up, and you're like. I just need to calm down, mm-hmm. breathe, do some wusa, mm. I just let, let it all out. So that's never, uh, I think traversing that ego is, is always a, a hard one to do. Mm. I know you do a lot of work with leaders and, and cultures and you deal with people with, with big egos. Yeah. So I'm just curious to see even from, from your perspective, like how do you deal with that, especially when in the workplaces? Um, so I think it's more about how I nurture my ego. So I walk into a room knowing that I'm an expert and believing I'm an expert and knowing my worth and knowing that I know my stuff. So when I'm challenged with big egos, I then pull myself back and say, do I match this ego that doesn't belong to me? Do I pick up this other person's bag because I want to match their ego or do I maintain my own? And most of the time, I'm not going to say all because, you know, we're human. We're allowed some, there's area for floors. There's wiggle room. But um, most of the time, I really like to maintain my own um, ego, which I've spent probably the last two years nurturing because, you know, your ego is your inner child, the child that wasn't looked after, the child that learned some of it, these little tricky things about and then and always goes back and tells you this message about yourself and why you need to be the person that's the biggest person in the room, the loudest voice in the room, the extrovert, the this, the that. And, and you know, it's understanding that in people. And um, often I will let people have their ego in the room, but it's also me knowing that I'm the expert, so I know how to pull that conversation back without matching their behaviours or acts or voice, because I have my own voice. Have you always walked into a room and just felt like I'm the expert here? I I own this this space, or is that something you've had to work through over the years? It's something I've had to. I've really only adopted in the last year and a half. Before that, I was the person who was the ego. I was the ego in the room. I was the person that was like, "Why can't I be the influencer in the room?" I need to be seen, I need to be heard. I was the extrovert. I was the person who was like front and center at the party because I just felt a little inadequate about myself. And um, then I applied it to some of my programmed thoughts around my race, my gender, you know, that I was uh, someone's ex-wife or whatever. I was applying some of those things to how I I expected people to treat me as such because this is what I thought I thought about myself. Um, So it did, it's only really been in the last, probably about 15 months where I've really accepted 
that you can walk into a room and some rooms you will just absolutely fit in, like the room you and I are in, we absolutely fit. We don't always agree, but we know how to navigate that. And some rooms will feel a little bit more uncomfortable and that's absolutely okay. It's, it's nothing about you as long as you are aware, um, self-aware enough to know that who you are and how you play a part in this and whether or not you want to stay in the room. That um, understanding like, who you are, understanding actually the way that you were showing up was due to your ego, that introspection look is not easy. No way. Like, that's that's some peeling back layers of of culture, like giving some of your examples, um, being a black woman in the, in the spaces, things you had to go through in your relationships, peeling all that back. People yeah. don't want to sit with themselves. No. People don't want to do that work. So... How did you find that? What actually prompted that for you to be able to do that? Um, do you know what prompted me? It, it probably was my um, divorce that really prompted me. Because, well, one, first of all, you, um, I, I was married to someone who was very wealthy. So I didn't want for anything in my marriage, but my marriage was quite dysfunctional at the same time. But my ego told me to stay in this for as long as possible because... I could have the car, I could have the house, I could have this, you know, the stuff, the holidays, this and that. And then we separated. And I realized that everything that I had done was based on me just wanting to have that idea of wealth. And being on my own meant that I wouldn't have that. And it wasn't, you know, I could have it, but I hadn't ever thought about myself as, Danique, how can Danique make money? How can Danique own her own stuff? How can Danique harbor this? Because I parked me and I just fully became the person that that person needed for me, for me to stay and have that person's money. And then being on my own made me think, oh my gosh, have I, I, I'm going to be poor. Like, I'm going to be poor. And that really was the catalyst of like, did you need to do all of this? And I lost a lot of things. And losing those things made me realize that I hadn't maintained myself. I hadn't been looking at myself. I hadn't been developing myself. I hadn't been growing myself. I didn't really care that much about my career. It was all about, okay, I can just land this job, but I know that if I leave or if anything happens, I can get this guy's money and we can spend stuff. And I think peeling that back and then also having real conversations with my daughter. So my daughter's 15. She was... um, she was 12 at the time and actually hearing how she felt, how I had pretty much not really neglected her in a way of like I hadn't given her stuff, but almost the emotional neglect that I, I had um, because I didn't, I wasn't concentrating on her. I was concentrating on me staying in this marriage. Um, so having to deal with all of that and being confronted with it, my choices were blame him or fix me. And I chose to fix me. Wow, that's that's powerful. That's powerful because the the blame game is is easy to do. It's so easy. You know, we, we all know we, we we have those conversations with people, and even at, remember back in the day at work, you have the water cooler moments where that person comes there, they complain fifteen minutes, the same thing tomorrow, the same yeah. thing the day after, mm. and you're like, are you gonna do anything about it? Yeah. No, I just I'm just addicted to complaining. You're like, okay, at least I know who you are. Yeah. So it's very very easy to play that that blame card. But then to be like, actually, you know what? Let me 
sit with with me and and look at me and look at how I can how I can change things. And even what you just said right now about having that conversation with your daughter was that initiated by her? Or was that by you? Um. So we went. We started off in family counselling. So, but when we divorced, um, when well, when we, when we separated, so we started off in family counselling, and that kind of brought up conversations and for me I felt like the conversations for me it was really important for me to have them just with my daughter not with my ex-husband because I think some of I not think I know I played a part in how she was feeling so it was that was the catalyst and that was that that was the biggest help and if there's you know if there's any advice I give to people if you ever are seeing cycles in your life and you're not moving up or you're not like earning the money or getting the jobs or doing the things and you're always feeling uncomfortable, try some counselling. Even if it's for like two weeks, just try it. I, I never thought, because, you know, you know, in, in our cultures, like we don't do counselling. You don't tell people your business. You don't bring that. You just deal with it. And, um, you know, we I, we kind of went against the grain. And that's why we can all be in this place. Like I'm extra. I, I never thought I could be best friends with my ex-husband. I didn't think that was even possible, but we talk, we still, we co-parent, but for me, it doesn't even feel like co-parenting. We just parent. So, um, it, and I feel like the counseling was the catalyst for that. And then having the emotional depth to carry that on um, was, you know, it, I want my daughter to do the best things with her life. So for me, I need to be the best mother, mother she can, see and be the best example I can't just expect her to be the best and me to be mediocre co-parenting or parenting and being good friends with your ex there's a whole different episode on, on, on that one because <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there's some people listening like how do I do that how do I how do I especially based on what you described prior to that where you said actually you weren't living a life based on who you really were you living a life based on fitting his example of yeah. what he wanted you to be so for you to actually go and become who you are and then through that then still become great friends with him i'm sure there's, there's a lot of lessons in there as well yeah yeah there's so much lessons and i always feel like for me because i um i didn't really have that example when i was growing up my parents divorced and it was messy um and it was messy for me and i ended up leaving home very early on in my life where i hadn't really finished developing um, and then there was just lots of things and, you know, you look back now and when you speak, when I speak to my parents, I understand that they had um, experiences in their childhood that they never fixed. So, of course, that I was, you know, I was going to have those experiences in my life up until a point. But you get to a point where you're like, OK, if I don't fix this in me, I am going to give my daughter the same experience that I had as a child. And then she's going to be the 16 year old looking for a house trying to figure out how she puts a deposit on her flat and doesn't know, you know, how to cook some pot noodles or like, I just didn't, I don't want her to have that experience. So it all, for me, I chose to be a mother and, and for me, it was a choice to, to make sure that I can navigate relationships, especially with the, the father of my child in a healthy way. Just because you have not seen it is not an excuse for you not to break the cycle. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's so great to hear you talking about you recognizing that fact. Be like, actually, you know what? We need to see, we need to change things to make sure that my daughter doesn't experience this and carry on what's been going on in past generations. And 
I really want to just highlight that point that it's we we know we have this conversation, especially with younger people. We see it in our in our culture a lot, where it's just that generational cycle of emotional, I guess, neglect yeah. and trauma yeah. that keeps on showing up in different ways and shapes and forms. And it's about us actually stepping up and, and changing it. Absolutely. For me, it was definitely, you know, working through the idea of being an abandoned by my parents. And, you know, your parents are the num- you're, they're your first loves. So you mm. believe everything they tell you. And so when you feel abandoned by them, you feel like that's how you're supposed to treat people. You feel like that because they are your role models. So you go off in the world and then you start you you start feeling abandoned in yourself and then you get into relationships where that abandonment and that ne- emotional neglect becomes normal because that's what your parents, your first loves taught you. And you didn't really learn how to love yourself. You didn't really learn what your worth was because you never got to experience the full range of emotions and feel validated for them because you always felt abandoned. And for me, I'm like, if there's anything that I think parents should should really think about is right now, one, if you don't know where your child is, go find them. Send them a text. Tell them you love them. Like I wrote, I write my daughter love letters all the time. I'm like, I love you so much. And she thinks I'm crazy, but you know, <laughs> I'm like, thank you so much. And and also I learned that you validating your child's feelings or thoughts is not you giving up your, um, you know, your responsibility as your parents. It's you validating them and their feelings and saying to them, I understand, I'm not perfect, but I am your mum and I'm here to support you through whatever it is that you need. We might have some bumps in the road, but I'm with you. And that's all they need, really. Honestly, that's all my daughter needs. My daughter doesn't even need me to cook for her anymore because she's just like, I know if I'm crying, my mum's going to come and pick me up. It's fine. Like, I know my mum's going to listen to me through, even if my, even if what I'm going through seems so trivial, my mum's going to be there and support me through it. So you kind of, I feel like it's really important that we, that as parents, we are, we accept that we chose to have these many people. You know, we chose them. They didn't choose us. We chose them. We chose to have them. And it's our responsibility to really let down our guards around our egos because, you know, we've got this whole thing of sometimes things are disrespect, seem disrespectful to us. And sometimes those things are just cultural passed down from grandparents or whatever. But it's having the conversation so your child knows your boundaries and you know your child's boundaries. Preach! (laughs) That's all I got today. (laughs) Um, There's a quote that you you put up uh, which said, I think everyone loves the honest person until the honest person strikes a chord within the truth. Mm. Going ready to receive. Mm. And that reminded remind me of a conversation we were, we were having before. And I just wanted to, to talk about, about that, about that quote in particular, that have there been times and situations where you've received honest feedback, which has stung and felt like criticism, but actually when you reflected on it, it made a massive difference to your growth and your trajectory. Absolutely. I used to work for um, a cyber security tech company and both of uh, both of the founders of the company were from a military background. So when they said stuff, it was, you know, 
it was there was no fluff to it it was said how it needed to be said and it landed how it needed to land and i remember the first time um one so the ceo and the cro were both my managers and the cro i remember him saying to me danique you're really good at what you do but you're such a you you act like a lost puppy dog and i was that i was like how rude how rude <laughs> how dare you call me a lost puppy dog do you not know what's happened in my life do you not know i'm a black woman do you not know racism do you not know sexism all of these things came to mind all of those things came right to the surface where i was like that's it i'm not working here how dare he speak to me ego 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 and then um you know so then you know i took a break and I really thought about it. And even, I think it was, it wasn't really until the beginning of this year. So earlier, probably after my birthday, which was the first week of January, I really thought about it. And I was like, you know, there were things that were said, but I remember that one most prominent, that if he had never said that to me, I never would have sat down and thought, oh my gosh, this is how I'm showing up in the world. This is how I'm showing up in the world. And it doesn't matter what experiences I've had because people don't know my experiences. All they're seeing is who I am and how I'm showing up in the world. So if I'm walking around with my head down and feeling um, and emulating all of this, I feel sorry for me, I'm not quite a boss. I wanna be the boss, but I don't know how to be the boss. That's all people are going to see me as. So when I was, when I was working with those people, most people didn't really see me as the leader in the room. They saw me as the, the assistant because that's what I was showing to them. So I, that definitely was an honest comment <laughs> um, or feedback that was given to me that really, it stung at the time, but I'm so grateful for because it really helped me to shape who I am today and hopefully who I'll be tomorrow. How, what was your initial response to what he said? Um, my initial response was, um, <laughs> I was like, okay, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm quite polite when I need to be. So I, I, I was courteous and I was like, thank you for your feedback. Left the room, cried, and, um, and then kept niggling. So you know when someone says something to you and you want them to feel like you need to accept that you hurt me, you need to accept my feelings, you know. So I'd always like whenever I'd write something. So I remember writing him out a Christmas card or something and saying from the lost puppy dog or something like that, like a little <laughs> bit like passive aggressive. <laughs> I have not forgotten. Yeah. Don't worry. <laughs> So yeah, I think it was it was probably my response was probably more passive aggressive because you know when you're working in a workplace you're not you're like okay I don't want to I don't want to bite the hand that feeds me but you need to know you upset me you need to know this because how dare you make me feel that feeling of uncomfortableness but he knew what he was doing and it was good. Have there been other instances as a as a black woman navigating? Um, your career before you, you start your business where things have been said to you where it hasn't been about trying to help you grow or constructive feedback it's just been malicious it's been um an aggression i don't do no microaggressions it's been an aggression yeah and it's just been down to the fact that you are a black woman yeah and it's so it's you know i have to be completely honest it happens a lot 
and it's by everyone, all races, all genders, all sexualities. It has happened a lot throughout my life and definitely in my career. And even as I've been growing my business now, um, and particularly I find, and I find it funny now because I realize it is actually more of a fear-based response from people that I have, I've had um, a couple of black women sort of feeling like, well, how dare you not talk about racism in the way that I'm talking about racism. And then instead of that being a conversation to navigate like, well, oh, why do you not feel it? What's your experience been? It's, or it's been something more of a challenge as opposed to, I really want to understand your perspective on this. I really want to understand how, like, why, why are you coming from it from this angle when everybody else listens to me and they understand my angle? Um, so I definitely have had that. And I think one that stands out the most is I had, um, I don't want to mention any names, but I had a lady who um, is a connection with me on LinkedIn and she had a conversation with me um, via Zoom that was almost a battle of, I'm going to tell you, Danny, that you are wrong. And I'm going to tell it to you in the worst way possible. And I'm going to try and gaslight you and make you feel like how like you don't understand because you're an Uncle Tom. You're an Uncle Tom, Danny. The way you address racism isn't how I address racism. And it was so, it was, I was so disappointed because for me, again, I can't, I, I, I've walked through my life, I think, expecting that from other people who don't understand the history of black people black races but I, I I you know you kind of give a little bit of wiggle room again for that because you're like I know there's a little bit of like misses miseducation miscommunication um ignorance whatever it is but when it happens from people in your own uh, who who walk in the same space as you who've had pretty much similar experiences to you who are just and who are a little bit older so should I say should like because I'm an idealist, so I'm going to say should here. But they, but they should be your role models. They should be the people you look up to and say, "I know we disagree, but I really feel comforted by you being in this space." It hurts so much more because you feel knocked down, and possibly that's due to some of my childhood trauma. <laughs> but 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 a large portion of it is just feeling like I can't believe I have to give this education to someone who not only is a bit older than me, but also who's had similar experiences to me. Um, so, I mean, for what I do is I don't really, I don't really take most things personally and people meet me where they meet me. And sometimes meeting me might not feel comfortable for them if they're in that space. I think, um, one of the words, the phrases that stuck with me the most last year was mm. not all skin folk are kin folk. Mm. Mm. I can understand that feeling of actually when it's your people, it feels so different. Mm. We're not a monolith where we experience things in, yes, we have unique experiences. We have things that bring us together, but we still experience things in our way. Mm. And there's not one way to talk about race there's no yeah. way to address or tackle the issue of racism yeah it's not we'll keep on talking about it, it's not one size fits all mm. so and this applies a lot when it comes to dealing with this issue so i can understand that feeling of you should know better you mm. should be 
talking to me better. We should be meeting and whether we agree or disagree, that's okay. Yeah. We don't have yeah. to do that, but we can still talk about it and then we can still support each other on what like that's that's how it should be around, not coming to uh, I'm, you're good to stay on the phone for I ain't gonna lie. I'm locked up like, <laughs> I was thinking like listen, I don't have I don't have time or energy for people who just got mm. bad vibes. I'm literally always like, nah, I don't this work is tiring and draining yeah. as it is. Yeah. I don't need to hear it. So you're you're good to be able to stay on and, and listen because I'll be like, nah, I gotta go. Yeah, no, I mean, for me, I was kind of like, I don't know what it was. Maybe there was, at that point, I was just so shocked. I was just so shocked that this was the conversation. It wasn't nurturing. It wasn't, there was no growth in it. It was, I knew at the end of that conversation, we would never speak again. And um, so I don't really know what my reasons were for staying, possibly my ego, but who knows? Now you're the founder of Cultured Insights. Yes. Tell the people what Cultured Insights is all about. Well, Cultured Insights is the, you know, the brainchild of me. So I worked in these spaces where I was like, we had these diversity and inclusion workshops. We had these anti-racism workshops and nothing changed. You know, we'd have them and people would one day go, oh my gosh, okay, um, I'll just make sure I don't say things out loud. And, you know, for me, I was just like, well, that wasn't really the point, was it? It was almost like, we want you to be really introspective about why things happen in the workplace. So Cultured Insights really is um, a place where we really want to help you develop your company culture. We really want you to understand that your HR your diversity and inclusion and how people experience your workplace, whether or not they're your employees or your uh, external customers, how they experience your workplace, all of that is all part of your culture. Um, So we do look at areas of diversity and inclusion, but we include it as part of the workplace culture. And we help companies to build their culture to make it really inclusive and really think about psychological safety at the workplace. So we're not the people who come into your workplace and say, you know what, if there's racism, just call it out. Because we know, you know, that's not safe all the time for people. It's not if your culture isn't the place where you can call stuff out, you know, if you call it out, you're probably not going to be there next week. So we want, we want um, leaders of companies to really understand how they can develop their culture and they can become a bit more self-aware as to why people are experience, having um, not so positive experiences at the workplace, whatever those experiences are. And what would you say is, if you have to drop like a major key of how companies can actually create spaces for psychological spaces, spaces for open conversation spaces to actually start to dig deep into the root yeah. cause of their their cultures. Um, what would you say that would be? If, it, if there was one word? Yeah. Integrity. Was that from the leaders? Or I, I, think, I think anyone who owns a company, so if you're from a private company, um, if, you, if you're a founder of a company, if you walk into your space and you create this workplace and you are telling people, oh, I am people focused, but really you are profit focused, that's not integrity. You be honest with your people. So people know when they walk into your room what it is. Am I walking into a space where, where if I do something wrong, 
in, and it, it jeopardizes profit that I'm going to be fired? Or am I in a space where there's room for making mistakes and people are going to allow me to be people? Integrity. That's the key is just be absolutely honest about what it is. And I think that's what most people miss is, is like people are, <laughs> I'm just going to say it. A lot of people who own businesses are lying. They lie. They say, I'm a people, I'm people focused and blah, 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 blah. And it's, you know, it's not often true. A lot of people are running businesses because they want to make money. And the people stuff comes second, third, fourth. So what, what I always ask leaders to do is to really think, are you really in this because, um, you, so if you had to lose a little bit of money to save a person, would you do that? Or would you choose the money and lose the person? Oof. And that's what I ask people. And you have to be that honest. You have to be that honest because it's only when you're that honest, you can create the core values that make up your business. So people know, okay, this is the business. This is the organization where if I walk in and I make a mistake, it's very likely that I will be treated not very well. Because then that helps other people to know how to behave in your space. So um, I'm a very what drives me having people of a profit something that a mantra I preach quite a lot and I find those kind of conversations really interesting where leaders especially right now like nah but we need to get money in if not we have to pay for the people I'm like yeah but then if you I've seen I've worked in companies and environments where they say you had 10 people and you looked after them really really well the productivity will equate having 30 people as opposed to places where you have 20 people and their productivity it's like you have intent. Like yeah. it's you can get that balance. It's actually when you invest in your people, the profit does actually show yeah. up because they give back in such a different way. But yeah. it's getting leaders to have that mindset shift and look at things from a completely different perspective, which I know is not always easy to do. Yeah. Um oh I can't remember his name. There's a CEO of um is it gravity profit i can't remember his name i really want to remember his name it will come to me but he oh, did the, guy that, the 70k yes yes yeah. and he you know they are making money and he, he had a post yesterday where he spoke about his competitors who chose profit over people and they are they are now an eight billion dollar company but can you imagine how many people in his competitors company how they are feeling are they feeling burnt out are they feeling stressed out are they are they making as much money as the leaders in the company? Are they feeling like support? Are they feeling like okay, I'll put myself out on a limb for these people? So for me, I'm like, I, I think we've, I think sometimes the problem is is we have very short term views, don't we? We say, oh, we want to see this in three years, we want to see this in five years, but if we were the people who were like, we we want to nurture people first. And we want to see that in two years we can nurture these people and we make you know enough profit to keep the lights on but we want to nurture people i feel i feel that that will actually help you to increase your profit by the fifth year because in if you're not nurturing people in year one in year one two and three you're losing people that's your turnover you're not really making any money are you you're just <laughs> you're losing people and having to bring new people back every time you bring someone else in that's another 40k so i'm almost um 
So for for me, I'm like, think of people first because that's who's in that's who's in the business. Those are the people in your company are the people who are translating back to your customers how you treat them. So true. For those who want to look into what we're talking about, um, the guy's name is Dan Price. That's the one. He's Thank the you. Of Crafty Payments, and a number of years ago, he brought up people's um, salaries to 70k and reduced his down. And over the years, they've just grown astronomically because he looked after his people and actually led by example. So this is a really, really good um, benchmark if people want to look into a little bit more of what many people are just talking about. And um, I'm curious to hear, how do you define leadership then? How do I define leadership? I define leadership in the same way as I define parenting. It's about being self-aware. It's about nurturing. And it's about having safe boundaries and integrity. nurturing nurturing leadership in work how have you seen a lot of that in your own experiences when you worked in the corporate spaces um <laughs> so i i tried i try my best not to reside in corporate spaces so i've pretty much only really um had jobs within startups but i have had a stint at a very um very 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 well-known um uh public sector organization where they definitely do not have nurturing leadership. Um, but in most of the startup companies I've worked at, even if things have gone pear-shaped, the leaders have wanted to, their, their, their intentions were to be nurturing. Their intentions, even if it came from a very um, uh, narcissistic view, shall we say, they wanted, they wanted their team to, to be mini them. They wanted to teach their teams how to be them. And then I guess sometimes where we can make mistakes is, is that we're not fully equipped to be leaders. We don't know how to navigate confrontation or issues in the workplace. And that's where I think the problem stems, as opposed to someone walking into a, a, creating this business and saying, oh, um, I actually want to be a terrible person. I want to, I, I want people to feel bad in this space. I want people to have minimum wage and not be able to pay their rent. I don't think many people are walking in to be a leader like that. Yeah, it's it's very interesting. Yesterday I was having a conversation with um, a friend of mine and we were talking about, especially in the startup world, when founders become CEOs, how much or his question was actually how do you go from a startup to a scale-up to a bigger company mm. and we both landed on the fact that a lot of that stems from a founder knowing when to step back and let yes. someone else take the reins and we'll then go back forth around how hard that is because you see a lot of founders in CEO positions and they don't they want some of them should not definitely be there yeah some of them don't want to be there but then they feel they have to be and it's always a very interesting one so as you worked a lot in startup world, I wonder what your what your take is on that. Yeah, I think I, I I've had the same experience. So for me, I think there are so many people who feel like if they stepped back from the CEO role, that they wouldn't that this would no longer be theirs. Mm -hmm. This and the company is an extension of them. Um, but someone who's really great, so James Rutledge from uh, Sanctus, he recently stepped back. Um, and he now has a CEO 
working at his business. He's still the founder of the company and he still plays a very integral role at that business. Um, and it's just understanding that the business is still yours. You still can make decisions, but there are people who are skilled in certain areas to help shape your business and grow it in a, in a direction that you might not be able to, but you can still be an integral part of this growth. Yeah, let's look into it, actually, because I know the also the founder of Monzo. Yes. He also recently stepped back. Yeah. As well, yeah. Because of those similar reasons, where I, I was playing a role where I don't I don't want to be, and it's kind of made decisions to step back and yeah. let someone else run with it because it's it's not mine anymore, and it's always a very hard choice. That's your that's your baby. Like yeah. you, said, you see leaders as, as parents. That's your baby. You're, yeah. you're letting go. Yeah. Like that emotional. Yeah, attachment. The hard work that you've put into it. Yeah, you've got the story. You've got the story. But my story for me, and I have never, I am, and I am never going to call myself the CEO because um, I don't think that's the role I want to play in my company. I'm the founder. And when I get to a certain year in my, in, in my, with my company, I'm definitely going to have a CEO come in and do, you know, show, show off their skills and do their things. I think I'm a great founder. I'm great at being able to tell this story of why it started, but I absolutely want other people to be in the roles in my business to help it grow and be the best version of what it can be. Just that's how I parent as well. It's almost like when your child says, I've got a boyfriend or something, and you're like, oh, no. <laughs> no no but there has to be a level of you understanding that okay here's the boundary I have given my child enough uh, knowledge and, and awareness and everything to know to make the decisions that are right for them and the decisions that won't hinder their progress and I feel like that's the same with a business you need to say okay I've done enough to to nurture this and now I want the right people in, in the right roles here. I really agree with that. Would you consider yourself an introvert or extrovert? Well, according to Myers-Briggs, I'm an extrovert. Um, but I'm, 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 I am actually borderline. I'm a, I think it was an ENFJ. Um, so I can fit in into both worlds. And I can, um, and I have a little bit of uh, um, understanding and an empathy for people on both sides of the spectrum, which is kind of rare. So I always, but I always get introverts who, who assume I'm an introvert because I can sit and talk with them without taking up all of the space in the room. Um, but then I can sit in with extroverts and take up all the space in the room. So it's um, it's a it's a nice place to be. I used to think it was called ambivert, but I've been told that that's not a real thing, and I wouldn't believe it is a real thing because I thing. I guess that's what I am. Yeah. <laughs> ambiverts are those that have have both sides. Depends on what what environment you're in. Yeah. But when you're home by yourself, are you? Would you say you're more introverted or more extroverted? Um, I think it depends on the day. Like, I really enjoyed my own space, but I don't know if that's because I've spent so much time on my own recently in the last year or so. Um, but I really enjoy just having stillness and being quiet and 
reading or praying or meditating and just understanding why I behaved in a certain way. Um, but then sometimes I could be at home and have the music on and have everybody in my house. Um, and um, before all of the lockdown stuff, I definitely was the person that was like, let's have the party in the garden. Let's have the games night. Let's do this. Let's do that. Let's go there. Always at someone's birthday party. So I, I do feel like I am definitely straight down the middle. Um, and I think my daughter would definitely agree because she's like, today she said, you seem really quiet. And I was like, I just enjoy in the quiet time. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> What's the first thing you got to do when the lockdown restrictions are completely lifted and we have some sort of normality in that sense? Oh, I'm so excited. So um, I have been trying to obtain my St. Lucian citizenship for um, the last year, which has been really difficult. So I can, by um, descent, because my dad was born in St. Lucia, I can become a St. Lucian citizenship. But there've been so many hurdles with this that I think when this all ends, my first thing is to finish and completely sign and do and pay for my visas and passports and everything else that I need and then visit St. Lucia. And I'm hoping my great grandma turns 100 this year in May, on the 10th of May. So I am like, please, with, you know, by the grace of God, the universe, please, I want that to be my first visit and to be celebrating her 100th birthday in St. Lucia. That's a remarkable achievement. Yeah, I know. She's, we're all, we're, we're all waiting for it to happen. And we're like, okay, this is going to happen. By the grace of whatever, we're all going to be there and have our passports. And um, so that is, that's, that's my goal. Um, probably secondary to that it's to it's just to go to a beach anywhere i'm happy to go to bournemouth i'm happy to go to margate i'm happy to go to a beach and not feel scared <laughs> you like traveling before this yeah i was definitely a traveler so i don't think you know this about me i actually lived in the middle east for a little while and um we, my ex-husband worked for uh, UNICEF and we stayed in some of the refugee camps. And um, so we did a lot of traveling. We saw a lot of devastation. We saw a lot of um, thing, inequitable things in the world. And we saw some of the world's most beautiful things, like my favorite place where I told everyone when I was about nine that I would visit was Brazil. And I saw all the beautiful sides of Brazil and we did all of the beautiful things. Um, and uh, yeah, and then just traveled around Europe. I worked for Hugo Boss, so I got to be in Germany quite a lot. Um, uh, partied in Marbella, you know, the usual stuff. Lived in Ibiza when I, was a, when I wasn't supposed to be living in Ibiza. And, um, and then yeah, the Caribbean for me is just home. And all your travel experience has that shaped at the way you look at the world and the way you look at people. Definitely. I think for me, it was, it, it actually shaped how I looked at the, our media, how I saw our media, because I'm, I'm seeing this thing occur in Syria, Lebanon, wherever I am. And then our media is reporting it in such a different way. It made me really understand that we all have, um, we all have a perspective. 
And some of those perspectives are shaped by where we live and who we speak to and who we know. And it really helps me to understand that my perspective is not always my own and to really think about it and ask questions and speak to people and understand different cultures and understand different ways um, of living, different religions, different, like just how people, just how different people live. So it could help me to have better conversations with people and less stereotypical ones. Yeah, that's, that's one thing I'll say about traveling. Traveling opens, opens your eyes in, in a whole unique way. I mean, when you go to places and you step outside of the hotels and the resorts and you go actually see, like, I don't know, whether it's the towns, the villages, the people, have conversations with them, immerse yourself in the real culture. Yeah. You get to understand a lot more of how people live, how they perceive life and what's actually important. Like, there's so many places that you go to where, yeah, we might have more money, like, materially. Mm. Mm. their levels of happiness of gratitude of joy like way way above like normal western and western culture i mean i went to i was like i went to um brazil a number of years ago yeah and i remember i used to go wake up early morning and it'll be probably about 6 30 in the morning yeah and you've seen um this grandma's there on the beach doing the exercises and you yeah. have a conversation with them and their life and they were just like happy full of yeah. life yeah. Was, I was like and they were just so content yeah. and they, had, they didn't have a lot they didn't have a lot of material possession yeah. but they were so full of life they were so happy they were so healthy yeah and those I was like wow man different completely different life it's absolutely so much yeah absolutely I felt the same in Brazil because I remember my first Sunday in Brazil and I I didn't know what was going on. I So we stayed in um, Epinema and we were kind of near Baja Beach. And we, we so we'd been there and it had been busy all, all of the days prior to this Sunday. The first Sunday, there's no cars on the road. And I'm thinking, oh no, have we stepped into something? Like what's happened? Is there an emergency? So I'm starting to have a level of panic because I don't speak Portuguese. So I just thought, okay, how do we find out what, like, are we not allowed here? And it turned out they have every Sunday just have family day, yeah. family day. And there were no, there's no traffic. So this whole us not having traffic now is, was, is kind of normal in most places. Like they don't do the Sunday thing. They are like it. Sunday is the family day. So Sunday is the day where we just all enjoy each other as people. And I loved that. I love, I was, I, I was just like, oh my gosh amazing how amazing is this this is so great like they're just enjoying people and i love that so you know you i i i 100 feel you. you when you travel you start to learn a bit more about why people may behave in a certain way or why they may perceive things in a different way to you and it's just so great just understanding that you know some things you find funny other people might not even understand because they speak different languages and they have different tones True. Um, it's coming towards the end. I'm just interested to find out what does that success mean to you? So, do you know success really means to me? I used to think it was like cars and houses and stuff. Success means to me self-mastery. It's understanding yourself. Because once you understand yourself, you won't even feel sad or upset about how other people behave because you understand that 
sometimes you've made people sad or upset or confused or any of those things, but you've also loved and shared and offered and done all of those things. And everybody, even Mr. Old Donald Trump has done that to some people too, you know? So you start to, so for me, success is complete mastery of who I am and understanding who I am now and what I want to be. And how do you go on that journey of, of self-mastery? Ah, oh, it's there's so many ways, but I think the first one is just, if you ever see cycles in your life that are repeated, so if you are in relationships and then you end that relationship and then you start another relationship and it's the same relationship, but with a different person, or you start a job and you're having the same experience in a job, and it's a different job and it's in a different place, but you're having the same experience. Really, if you can, just take the time to consider how you're showing up in the world. Take the time to consider that maybe some of your thoughts about the world is what you're seeing in all of these experiences. And that's where I that's where I started. Because and well, there and that I didn't want to be poor. So <laughs> I was like, I don't want to be poor. How do I not be? I, I, you know, I, I believe we're all, we're all abundant. We all have, there is, there is space and a place for abundance with everybody, but it's us understanding where it is and finding it. It's like a treasure, hidden, hidden treasure. And we can all get there. And lots of kudos to my friend, Edward Zia, who was homeless and is now, he's doing all right for himself. So, you know, there's, there, there's always, there, there is abundance for everybody. And I think it's in the self-mastery where you find that. That is so true. Get your mind right, get your mind sorted out, know who you are, what you're about, and then you can achieve what it is you want to achieve. Yeah, I think that's it. Working on people, find out more about you, about Cultured Insights. Well, I am actually having a complete revamp of Cultured Insights um, because, you know, that's how the journey goes. You start off with one, but I am always on LinkedIn. So you can always find me on LinkedIn. The, the Cultured um, Insights website is up, is still up. So it's www.culturedinsights.com. And we will have a real functioning newsletter coming out soon. So and, and you'll be able to subscribe if you'd like via the website. I employ to check out. Danique on, on LinkedIn. She she comes with fire on a regular basis, <laughs> asks some real interesting questions, and she has some real talk and real vulnerability about things that she's going through. So that's why I love love your intake on, on LinkedIn and definitely recommend it to people. And I want to say thank you for just coming on, sharing, sharing the, the realness of your experiences and how you see life and even talking about business and work and family and how all that kind of intersects and the learnings from your experiences. It's been really, really, really valuable and I appreciate it. Yeah, no, I want to thank you because, you know, our conversation when we first met could have gone such a different way. And, <laughs> <laughs> and it's, only, it's only, you know, when you have conversations with people who are absolutely self-aware and introspective that you know that you can have a great relationship with people, even if you don't believe that Stormzy is an unsung hero. <laughs> Listen, when it comes our response to Chip here, then... This is Everyday Leadership. 
see you soon thank you for listening to this episode of everyday leadership you can check out the show notes on www.mindsetshift.co.uk forward slash podcast where you can find out more about my guests and how you can contact them you can listen to old episodes or if you have a question about this episode or any of the episodes you can just press a button and ask me that question and i'll answer it on the next episode don't forget to subscribe comment share this podcast with someone else we'll see you next time on everyday leadership